Can't get up here. Ah, okay. Yeah, let's see here. All righty. All right. Well, now, am I on? Can we hear me? Oh, I'm sure a lot of you are saying, oh, my goodness, that's too bad. But, okay. Well, what a privilege it is to be in a pulpit where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached without apology or excuse, because unfortunately in this world today, that is a rare thing indeed. Um, when Tina and I moved here uh, many years ago, uh, the Lord led us to Westside Baptist Church and uh, our wonderful pastor, and we uh, we should always keep pastor in prayer, uh, and for all of the pastoral staff, because this is a very troubled world we live in, and you must realize that the world hates us, and they hate our testimony, and they hate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I moved here, it was under sad circumstances in that my mother had had a stroke, and Tina and I moved from Maui to Oregon to take care of her. And we thought we had left a dark place in the world spiritually to come to a place that was perhaps less dark, and we found out quite the contrary. But in the sad part of having to take care of my wonderful mother, who was so deserving and such a wonderful Christian uh, and who had uh, been the person who led me to Christ at my bedside when I was seven years old. Uh, The other part of our experience was we got to have a a year with my dear uncle, Dr. Jack MacArthur. Uh, If you've ever heard Johnny MacArthur, he is, yes, my cousin. And if you've ever heard Johnny, you've only heard the chip because Jack was the block. Many years ago, uh, Uncle Jack wrote a book called Exploring in the Next World. It's a wonderful book. Um, And uh, in it, there are some uh, interesting chapter headings. And uh, I'll just uh, give you three. First, you will survive death. The frontier of the supernatural and the sphere of the supernatural. Well, in his book, Exploring in the Next World, we won't have time to do the exploring, but tonight we will go adventuring in that world, at least somewhat. Tonight, we will examine the physics of immortality. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, the apostle says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. In 1 John chapter 3, in the second verse, John tells us, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed that what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is." Gracious God and Father, I pray that you would just be glorified in all that is said and done this evening. I pray that you would hide the self-life of the one who ministers in the message. And we ask your blessings on this evening and most of all, your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Tonight, we will undertake a very brief biblical examination of the spiritual and physical properties, forces, and distinguishing characteristics of our Lord's glorified resurrection body and consequently the redeemed Christian's glorified resurrection body. Our Lord's Savior's body has been and ours will be transformed to transcend matter, time, and space of the natural world, glorified for life beyond the grave, living in the next dimension, the next world, eternal life in the presence of the Holy God. Tonight we are going to examine indeed the adventure of the next world. The next world will be the spirit world. The spirit world is a material realm with spirit qualities and faculties. The eternal material realm is comprised of two spheres of occupation, forever separate and eternally unbridgeable. Eternal life, joy, and fellowship in heaven is compliant with and complementary to the holy requirements of the spirit laws for eternal existence in the presence of the most holy and only God. Conversely, eternal death, misery, and solitude in the lake of fire, hell itself, is also compliant and complementary to the holy requirements of the spirit laws for eternal existence in complete and utter separation from the very presence of God. Well, what about our resurrection body? The resurrection body is not a body of flesh and blood, for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, God's word says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Blood is the source of corruption and decay. Therefore, there can be no blood in the resurrection body. The task of blood is to convey to the tissues of the body the elements that will keep them in repair. Hunger and thirst are nature's warning that the body is deteriorating and must have food and drink to regenerate or the body will die. According to Revelation chapter 7 verse 16, we shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. This is a sign that our bodies will no longer waste away. As a result, we will need no blood. In heaven, there will be no sickness or death, both of which are caused by corruption in heaven uh, we will be as healthy as as a spirit can possibly be there will be no necessity for night because night is for sleep and sleep is not necessary where and when there is no need for recuperation there won't be any pain for pain is caused by corrupted tissue but while we shall but while we shall not have a body of flesh and blood we shall have a body of flesh and bones, just as Jesus had after his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, our Lord said, Behold my hands and my feet, that I myself handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as ye see I have. Our resurrection body, or the flesh of our resurrection body, will not be human flesh, but flesh adapted to the spirit world, the next world. And as such, a body will require a framework. That framework will be of bones suitable for our spirit body. 
Thus, our spirit body will be a vehicle adapted to every need of our spirit and be able to convey us anywhere in the universe of God. It will differ as much from our present body as the body of the butterfly differs from the caterpillar from which it rose in resurrection from the grave of its cocoon. Well, let's look at the characteristics of this resurrection body. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 42, it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. This is the unvarnished truth. It is sown in fetid rottenness. Once again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. To box a man up because his presence cannot possibly be tolerated in his own home one day longer. To transport him away in a hearse from his family and friends and society, from his church and bank and the store and the mall, from his shop and from his workplace, and then deposit his remains six feet beneath the grass to protect the community from the repulsive orders that would accumulate and contaminate the atmosphere. That is what the apostle means by sown in corruption. When Abraham appealed to the children of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight in Genesis chapter 23. That scene is pathetic. What dead person is that? Abraham desired that it would be put out of his sight. It is none other than that beautiful woman he delighted to call Sarah, my princess. To avoid burial and prevent corruption, the ancient Egyptians embalmed their dead and preserved the remains in expensive and exhaustive mummy cases. In order to banish the very thought of corruption, the East Indian emperor Shah Jahan built the incomparable marble palace, the Taj Mahal, to house the decaying remains of his beloved wife. And as if to rob death of its terror and express a belief in the immortality of the body, magnificent buildings have been erected like Great Britain's Westminster Abbey in which the great and noble have been entombed. But all the beauties and architecture and the skill of the sculptor's chisel cannot rob the grave of its utter repulsiveness. But while the body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this happens, death will be swallowed up in victory. What a glorious day. When the unadorned soul will be put on the endlessly enduring beauty and undying glory of our resurrection body. That will be the Easter of all Easters. When the voice of the archangels summons the sainted dead to rise and the corruption shall be put 
on incorruption, and we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in thir- verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest ye sorrow as others who have no hope. We live in a world without hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in 1 Corinthians 15.43, concerning the resurrection body, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. How many bodies have been sown in dishonor through some depraved appetite or unnatural infatuation some physical disfigurement or congenital deformity that the body has carried from cradle to the grave. But the resurrection will end all this. The body will be raised in glory. No more shame or dishonor about our body because there is no more sin. Our resurrection body shall be like unto our Savior's glorious body. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in 1 Corinthians 15.43, concerning the resurrection body, a corp- it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. A corpse is the embodiment of weakness. It is utterly and completely powerless. But if this impotent, lifeless body is the body of one of God's born-again saints, our Lord will raise it with power. Not only will our Lord display power in the resurrection body of the believer, uprooting graves, breaking through burial vaults, and shattering mausoleums if necessary, but the believer's raised body will be possessed of power. This power includes more than physical power. It means an enlargement of our present faculties. For instance, our sight. Our present range of vision is very limited. If we want to see at a distance, we must use binoculars. If we want to examine minute objects, we use a microscope. If we want to discover the cause of some disorder in the human body, we resort to endoscopy, ultrasound, MRI, or X-radiation. When our vision is impaired, we use contacts or glasses. We have power to see through a pane of glass, but not through a sheet of iron. We are surrounded on all sides by a universe of objects and creatures that the human eye cannot see. If our spiritual eyes were opened, we would see spiritual beings surrounding us. Not unlike the young man at Dothan. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 15, God's word relates, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us 
are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Or perhaps uh, not unlike Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselor, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the very Son of God. Another sense that will be marvelously enhanced will be our hearing. Our hearing is currently quite defective. There are sounds too high and too low for the human ear. We can hear the footfall of a horse, but if we want to listen to the sound of a walking fly, we must use a very sensitive instrument. We can multiply the power of the human voice by the use of electronics, and the earphones increase the power of the human ear. If we can invent instruments to augment his power of hearing, imagine what God can do for the ear when he endows it with the power of the resurrection body. What about the power or the sense of taste? Taste implies a mouth, a tongue, a palate, and digestive organs. This raises the question of eating and drinking in the next world. Why not? Jesus ate in his resurrection body. He says to his disciples at the Last Supper, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Mark 14. In Revelation chapter 22, we read about the tree of life, which bears 12 kinds of fruit, a different kind for each month. Verse 2 of Revelation 22, God's word says, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The fruit of these trees are only for those, according to Christ himself, who overcome. In Revelation 2.7, Christ said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And the leaves are for the healing and preservation of the nations that shall occupy the new earth. While there will be no need for eating in the next world to supply nutrients to the body, and yet one of the pleasures of the heavenly next world will be eating and drinking. What about our memory? How quickly we forget. But the fault is not our mind, it is our brain. We all know that sickness and age affect the memory. But when we reach that land where there is no sickness, and where the inhabitants never grow old, then the brain shall be perfect in its powers, and memory shall never fade or fail. Listen carefully. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus tells the words Abraham said to the rich man. Abraham, if you can imagine, levels the rich man by saying in Luke 16, Son, remember. Memory. And it is a warning to the wicked and the unsaved that, according to Mark nine, uh, to Mark chapter nine, 
The worm that shall never die will be memory. The unsaved will live in memory. Memory that they will despise. When we speak of having a poor memory, what we uh, have is a very poor remembering mode or perhaps a, a very poor remembering app. Memory is like a digital recording device or DVD. It preserves all our life and at the judgment will recall every idle word and justify the fairness of our sentence. It is interesting that Matthew 12:36 uses the word idle. The Greek for that is useless. If the powers of the resurrection body shall only be the increasing and intensifying of our natural powers, that will be fabulous. Indeed, but the scriptures teach that our present faculties and powers are to be wonderfully multiplied. Consider how our current means of locomotion are so limited. We have feet with which to walk and we have multiplied our means of travel until we can, with the use of planes, trains and automobiles, travel great distances in a very short time. But in our resurrection body, we will be able to move with the swiftness of lightning from earth to heaven. When Daniel began to pray, as recorded in Daniel 9.20, the angel Gabriel was commanded to go to him and Flying swiftly, Gabriel reached Daniel's side before he finished his prayer. Angels know where and why they are going. Angels know the highways and byways of the stellar spaces, solar systems and galaxies, and how to steer their course through the universe's labyrinths of suns and systems and radiant orbs. They have telescopic, microscopic, and x-ray vision. They don't need television, telephone, Twitter, Facebook, or Wi-Fi to communicate with each other. The flight of a bird is limited to the atmosphere above our heads. The flight of angels has no limit inside the boundlessness of God's universe. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in 1 Corinthians 15.44 concerning the resurrection body, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. By spiritual body, we are not under, we are not to understand that it is some sort of etherealized, fragile, ghost-like structure that has no substance. As we have already observed, the spirit body is a material body with spirit qualities and faculties subject to the higher natural laws of the spirit world. Every force in the universe must have a motor adapted to its use. We cannot utilize the powers of steam without the steam engine. We cannot utilize the power of electricity without the turbine. We cannot utilize the power of the atom without the nuclear, without a, the nuclear fission reactor. We cannot utilize the power of the sun without the photovoltaic cell, etc., etc., etc. Every force in the universe must have a motor adapted to its use. The motive force of the human body is the soul. And the motive force of the resurrection body is the spirit. Let me say that one more time. The motive force of the human body is the soul and the motive force of the resurrection body is the spirit. 
First Corinthians 15:45, God's word says, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That verse says, we got from the first Adam our natural body adapted to the use of its motor force, the soul. From the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, we got our resurrection body adapted to the use of its motor force, the spirit. That is what the apostle means when he says of our resurrection body, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If we are to have such gloriously gifted bodies in the next world, why should we so greatly regret parting with these poor, weak bodies of flesh? Why pamper and cherish and adorn a body that is soon to feed the worms? While there should be no regret at parting from these physical bodies of ours, we must not forget that by losing them, we become incomplete. Yes, I said incomplete. You see, we no longer are body, soul, and spirit, but only spirit and soul. Here's a question for you all. How many of you are Irish? How many of you are British? How many of you are Scottish or perhaps Spanish? If our soul is separated from our human body, if we die, before Christ comes for his bride, the church, we will be soulish. The spirit in its soulish body is the intermediate state and is conscious, but it is subject to limitations. The righteous are in paradise and the wicked are in hell. It is not until the righteous get their resurrection body and again become a trinity of body, soul, and spirit that they have the freedom and powers of angelic beings to roam the universe. This explains the prayer of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I pray God for your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle hoped that the saints at Thessalonica would not die before the Lord's return so that without losing their body by death, their physical body would be changed to their glorified body and they would be caught up like Enoch and Elijah to meet the Lord in the air. There is a dark side to this picture that we have painted and it is the resurrection of damnation. If the resurrection of righteousness, if the, if the resurrection of the righteous is unto life, the resurrection of the wicked is unto damnation. In John chapter 5, verse 28, our Lord Jesus cautions, warns, saying, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There are two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 37 and 38 that shine light on what the Lord said. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Each kind of seed its own body. There is a law in the natural world recorded in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And it says, God's word tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. 
For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh, reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. A man cannot sow weeds and reap wheat. Every body or every seed has its own body. If anyone dies without Christ, he cannot rise to a Christ-like resurrection. The difference between the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation is so monstrous, a contrast that it would be impossible for human minds to imagine or human language to express it. In Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, God's Word says, Then I saw a great white throne and Him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The resurrection of life and the resurrection unto damnation, they are as far apart as the eternal limitless chasm that separates heaven and hell. It would be completely appropriate for us to take a moment in our own hearts and reverently inquire of ourselves within the confines of our seats where we sit what our relationship is to the Lord Jesus Christ. To which of these resurrections will you and I arise? The resurrection of life or the resurrection of damnation? It is the most important question that must be answered by you because it is the question of your eternal destiny. You know, we, we have a fourfold invitation at this church. And it's very simple. One is salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In Second Timothy chapter, nine, verse, chapter 1 verse 9, God's word says, Christ is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserved it, but because that was the plan long before the world began to show his love and kindness to us through Christ. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who broke the power of death and showed us the way of everlasting life through trusting him. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, the apostle says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, 
we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you know Christ as Savior? It is the eternal question and it is the destiny that you must settle. The second invitation we have is rededication. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's been said, and I've heard it said from this pulpit, the further you get away from Christ, the further you get away from Christ. The further you move from the Christian life, the, the greater the distance is, and it just keeps multiplying. Don't wait. Don't allow anything to keep you from being in a right relationship with your Lord and Savior. We have an invitation for baptism. Have you followed the Lord in baptism? We can counsel you and give you the what you need to know. But most of all, you need to ask yourself, have I done what the Lord has asked me to do? There are only two ordinances in the church. One is the Lord's table and the other is baptism. Have you followed the Lord in baptism? And our last invitation is church membership. You know, you couldn't be a member in a more wonderful church than Westside Baptist Church. And the, and the prerequisite to my being able to say that is that Christ is magnified and the gospel is preached every single time someone is in this pulpit. Well, we would love to have you. If you know Christ as Savior and if you've been baptized, we would love to have you as a member of our church. You know, tonight we've had a chance to examine some of the the upside and the downside of, uh, and, and I have just a matter of moments left to go. But I want to tell you something I told my Sunday school class not too long ago. And I think it's important because it's what happens to the, to that Christian when he's separated. When we, let's say, as we like to say, the, 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 uh, the, the, the slippery bonds of surly earth. Yeah, we, we, yes. And I called it the, the first seven microseconds after death. Have you ever contemplated respectfully and reverently meditated on the destiny of a righteous soul, the redeemed soul of a blood-bought, born-again believer during the first seven microseconds after death? Before the funeral has been held and the body cremated and scattered or entombed, or buried in the cemetery, before sending for the undertaker, or notifying the neighbors and relatives, before the sheet is pulled over your face, or the life-monitoring electronic devices red line, before the hot heart monitor ceases its rhythmic beat and changes to an irritating, continuous, high-pitched tone, before the attendants and bedside silent and dutiful watchers have realized that you are dead before they know what you, uh, before they know that you are already seven microseconds out of the body, before they appreciate that you have reached paradise and that now you comprehend where you are to spend eternity. Now, what will be our experiences in those first seven microseconds after death in eternity? Well, in the first microsecond, at the initial microsecond, our first awareness will be the death was so easy. 
that death was like falling asleep and, and awaking in a beautiful world. We will immediately be aware that there was no valley of death with ghosts, gremlins or goblins and no hideous beasts, monsters or demons to terrorize us with fear. No treacherous dark river to negotiate across, but that ministering angels were waiting to bear us to paradise just as they carried Lazarus. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Hebrews chapter one says angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Oh, how wonderful it will be to meet our guardian angel who has watched over us in our earthly life and who will not desert us in that matchless moment when we require a heavenly guide to conduct us to our heavenly home. At the second microsecond, our consciousness will be aware that we have left behind our earthly body with all its weaknesses, suffering and limitations and have a spirit body that is absolutely thriving and fitted in every way for the spirit realm in which it is to abide. At the third microsecond, our next awareness will be that of exceedingly swift transportation upward through the celestial firmament toward a beautiful country whose radiance is brighter than the sun and approaching we see coming out to meet us and escort us home groups of angels who sing according to Revelation chapter 22. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. At the fourth microsecond, our awareness will be that we are in a new environment whose atmosphere is love. That there is no discord or lack of harmony in our new home and that its chief characteristic is holiness. At the fifth microsecond, our awareness will be the feeling that we are near Jesus. If we do not actually see him, we shall have the consciousness of his nearness. At the sixth microsecond, our awareness will be that of meeting our loved ones. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This citation of Holy Scripture may or may not apply to our heavenly family members. And I am certainly not dogmatic about the hermeneutical application. I do not believe that our Lord, uh, that our loved ones have any direct knowledge of what is happening on this earth. But I do believe that it is not beyond the glorious character of our Savior that perhaps he would permit our guardian angel to communicate with our loved ones and inform them of our coming, and that consequently they will be waiting to joyfully receive us. Finally, at the seventh microsecond, our awareness will be our meeting with all the saints who have preceded us to glory, including the patriarchs, the prophets, the apostles, the martyrs, and countless, countless Christians of yesteryear and today. And of course, my Savior, first of all. Praise be to the God, the Father. Praise be to God, the Son. Praise be to God, the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. If you would, I have asked that we have an invitation song this evening. 
Um, number 525. It's an unusual invitation song. Um, but I think it is uh, quite appropriate for this evening's uh, uh, message, Pastor. 